This podcast is supported by Oliver White. Oliver White educators, coaches, and mentors can help bring your company to the level of Class A business excellence because they have done it themselves at their own companies. All of our principals have extensive first-hand experience in operating and managing business processes to the highest standards. We don't just tell you how to improve your business processes. We give you the knowledge to make it happen. You can find Oliver White, that's W-I-G-H-T, online at www.oliverwhite-americas.com or by calling 800-258-3862. Now, on to the podcast. You want a supply chain icon? We've got a supply chain icon. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain. And this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Joanne Drasky has truly had an incredible supply chain journey. Not coincidentally, that's the name of his new book, which relates the story of his life and career. Joe is probably best known for his many years as an executive with Nabisco, although he's held a number of key positions and has hands-on experience in just about every stage of the supply chain. Joe joins us to share some of his experiences and the lessons he's learned from working with all kinds of individuals and in some extremely challenging corporate environments, including the mergers and acquisitions that rocked Nabisco and R.J. Reynolds in the 1980s. Today, Joe remains as active as ever, founding his own consultancy and pioneering advances in radio frequency identification and retail collaboration. So here is my conversation with Joe Andrasky. Joe Andrasky, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Bob. I'm, it's really a pleasure and an honor to be able to work with you. Great to have you and to hit the opportunity to hear your story. Where did you grow up, Joe? Well, I was uh, born uh, and raised up until I was 10 years old in, uh, uh, in, in a, a, a small town uh, outside of Hazleton. Uh, it was a small coal mining village uh, with, um, you know, probably um, 50 houses, something like that. Uh, and it was uh, it, it was a very um, challenging uh, place to grow up uh, because the recreation uh, that we had included uh, swimming in, in strip mines, open strip mine hole, holes that had filled up with water uh, or jumping on rail cars and throwing coal off that we'd pick up in our, our wagons and take back to the house. Or we would be hunting rats over the city dump because where I lived, there was a, a, a car junkyard uh, right across the street. And then down the block, there was a very large uh, car junkyard. And then behind our house was the city dump. 
so he, you know, it, it was an area where everybody was basically uh, on the poor side. Wow, Hazelton, what state? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah. So you're you've been a PA guy pretty much a good part of your life, then, right? Well, I've been in and out of Pennsylvania. Uh, I spent uh, probably twenty, twenty three years, twenty four years in uh, New Jersey uh, when I was working for Nabisco. Yeah. And I spent a couple of years in Dallas, Texas. We just bounced around. It was, you know, and some of some of what companies do to, back then. I don't know if it's still going on now, but you you would get an assignment, and you know, my, my my the way I operated was the way I was taught. You know, what what I learned from from my 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 family and others was that when you're working for a company and they ask you to do something, you know, the first thing you say is yes. And you know you, you don't turn anything down. You're a team player. So you know, I got an opportunity after working for uh, Nabisco, uh, the old Standard Brands company, uh, working in Wilkesburg for about a year and a half. They said, uh, "Hey, would you go to uh, Dallas, Texas?" I said, "Oh, absolutely, sure. I'd be, I'd be happy to." <laughs> How soon, right? Well, yeah. let me let me back you up a little bit though. First, did okay. you were you in the service, or did you go to college, or anything like that? Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, I was in the service. Um, my dad was a career, uh, he, he retired and, and he passed at an early age, but he was a serviceman. As a matter of fact, all my uncles uh, on my mother's side and then on my uh, my dad's side were in the military one time or another. Uh, but my dad became very disenchanted with the military. And she, he said, you know, Joey, uh, you, you don't want to go, you don't, you don't want to be a full-time uh, uh, person in, in, in the military. So, you know, go, why, why don't you just join the the uh, uh, the local uh, armory, so I did. It was a national. It was a national uh, 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 an organization <laughs> that that dealt with military police. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, I joined that, and I, I went away for six months uh, on that tour of duty, and then um, somewhere maybe a year or so afterwards, I got called into. I was in there for another uh, year and a half. Uh, so I, I ended up uh, spending two years with the military, uh, and it was a good experience, uh, all things considered. And so when I when I got back uh, after that ser- serving that time, um, I, I said, you know, I I, I know I, I'm not going to be able to be successful in business unless I have an education. So with that, uh, I started at the, uh, Wilkes College. I began my master's program there. And then, uh, lo and behold, uh, I was getting messages that things might change. Uh, so I went to Scranton, the University of Scranton, and I began my education there. And then um, that's when we I was working uh, back in Hazleton uh, in, in a machine shop where I was a materials manager. And then when I, uh, I ended up going to work for, back then it was Standard Brands and Clark Summit, uh, we ended up uh, moving in, into Clark Summit, so uh, that that put me a little closer to University of Scranton. And I actually I, I finished my BS in uh, in six years, and I graduated with honors. And I was very very proud and very happy uh, to have that opportunity and and to be able to work with companies that they you know they 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 gave us a, a lot of tuition uh, support. Yeah, how, how interesting though that you were already in materials. So early, where did you, when you got out of college or when you were getting your first job, 
Where did you imagine your life was going? What direction did you think it was going in at that time? Well, I, I, I wasn't really sure where, where it was going, except I knew what I wanted. And, I, and I, I enjoyed management, and I really enjoyed working with people. I, that, 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 to me, was where I could add the, the most value. Um, and so my experience goes back to, uh, you know, when I, I was working at Door Oliver. This is a, a, a fairly large company that built uh, centrifugal force machines and other large filtration units and what have you. It was, so it was a very sophisticated shop. And so I handled the materials for that shop. And one day the president of the company came in and he said, Joe, um, you know, we've got a lot, of, a lot going on now. We need you downstairs. And I asked him, what do you mean downstairs? He said, no, you're, you're going to be the second shift supervisor. And uh, these are, you know, we're shipping 15-foot diameter uh, uh, can, uh, 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 filtration equipment. And, and all this, I mean, it was just... It was just significant amount of product that was being built and, and repaired, and, and we had to get it out. So, of course, my first answer to that request was, yeah, sure, uh, sir, Milwaukee and Shaw, I, I, I'd be happy to uh, to do that. So I got down in the shop, and I, you know, of course, you know, a rookie, I didn't know anything about uh, any, other than shipping this stuff. I didn't know how it went about all the other, you know, the other work. So uh, what I did is I called everybody together, and I said, I, I'm here to help. Uh, but I know you guys know far more about this than I do. So let's put together a game plan that we believe we can follow. How many of what orders and are we going to be able to ship on a daily basis? And let's make that our goal. And it'll be your challenge to make it happen. And if there's something that you can't get done, you let me know, and then we'll, we'll figure out. We'll come up with an answer. Yeah, you must. You must have been talking to a bunch of people who were older than you too. Yeah, everybody was older than me back then. You know, you know, they had 25, 30 years with the company. Uh, they they knew the business in and out. I mean, and and it was a challenging place because they loved to kid me. You know, to joke with me. You know, talk about my hair, whatever it was. You know, they'd be on my back, and you know, we'd laugh and joke and what have you. Now I'm going down there, and these very guys that I used to joke with now I'm their boss. Hmm. So it changed somewhat, but then. It started to uh, you know, it started to see some improvement. They started to get things done, and I learned that there were certain you know things I couldn't joke about, like you know, can you make that hammer go any faster? Well, next thing you know, they got to be sitting around saying, "Oh, I can't do that." You know, cannot, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I was only kidding. <laughs> but uh, we had a, a gondola that we were uh, shipping it, and because of the size of the equipment it was being shipped, it was it was outside on a rail siding, and. Uh, so I decided I was going to check that. I went an abnormal way, a different way to get to the to the, to the car. And when I got up there, uh, I looked and I saw one guy sleeping and the other guy looking towards the shop, looking for me. And so with that, I said, uh, "How you guys doing?" Uh, and you know, they both jumped up and looked at me and a startled look on their face. And they said, "Well, we're, we're, we're working on this car, shipping this car." I said, "Okay, look at." <laughs> <laughs> Just get this thing done, and then we'll, we'll, we'll catch up later on. Well, it didn't take long for that story to go throughout this, you know, the 25, 30 people that were working there. And when I didn't take any steps to write up uh, a report or take it to the you know, labor group or the, you know, the personnel group, when I just let it slide and didn't do anything about it, there was a different, there, there was a change, a dramatic change in attitude. I was one of them. 
and they worked their tails off. And we got we were doing more business, shipping more products with a smaller team on second shift than the first shift was getting out. Yeah. And it was so it turned in then they ended up feeling, ah, this is a great deal. We're gonna be we're gonna compete with those guys in the first shift. And uh it, it went on like I think I was downstairs, you know, maybe six months, something like that. And uh and then I decided, you know, I I'm I've had enough of the second shift, so it was my wife, so it you know, it's time to come back upstairs and get my regular job. And so I made the appeal and then they said, Okay. And with that, the president of the company comes by one day and he said, What are you doing there? I said, oh, I'm doing my, my job, Mr. Walkinshaw. And he said, you're supposed to be downstairs. I said, well, <laughs> they changed that. I said, well, I'm sorry, sir. Uh, okay, <laughs> what should I do? He said, I'll take care of that. Well, they let it go. They, they didn't push that any further. I didn't have to go back downstairs. Yeah, but, but you and, know, right away, though, it seemed like you almost instinctive, instinctively knew the necessity of balancing collaboration with authority. The constant balance that leadership faces in that area. I guess. I guess you just sort of knew that. Somehow or another, it, it was ingrained in me from from you know very early time. Uh, I, I I started working when I was ten years old. I, my social security goes back to ten years when I was ten years old. So I was setting pins in a bowling alley, I was delivering papers, and I mean I I was involved in a lot of. Stuff. I worked at my uncle's bakery. Uh, you know cleaning pans and dusting, cleaning the floor and then and, and working my tail off there for, you know, five dollars a day. Uh, and sometimes it was like five dollars a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I had a really good taste of what it was to work uh, in an organization and, and, and how important it was to be a team player. Uh, because I could see that the people that weren't part of the team really weren't being accepted very well in most anything. Yeah. And I wanted people to like me. I, that that was very important to me. I, I wanted to be liked. And I wanted to be respected. And when, you know, people would say, "How's Andraski doing?" They wanted to give me a you know, high five. The kids doing okay. Yeah. Well, then, uh, so you moved on to Standard Brands, which became, of course, your 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 stint in Nabisco. Uh, did that come soon after? I came back from the military. I went to work for uh, my the company, uh, which was Dora Oliver. And then after that, I went up to work for Standard Brands. I think it was around 1966. And then uh, I was there, and I had I progressed very nicely. Uh, I, was, I was very happy with the uh, the fellow that was the uh, head of the department. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I interviewed for that job, they said, "Well, you know, you don't have a college degree, so we don't think you have a chance." Well, what, what can I do? I mean, I'm I'm really interested in working because it was. I'm telling you, uh, to go from uh, working at a plant to this beautiful office, brand new office building, two stories on this plot of land was like 40 acres with rolling hills and planted grass and a and a pit a putting a putting green. I mean, <laughs> I mean, oh, you're kidding me! I, I I got up there and I said, this is oh, this is where I want to be. And so I met with Frank, and uh, he, he begins to ask me what are my goals, and you know, I, I start begin to tell him that I'm, I'm interested in learning as much as I can about the business and making a contribution of that, what have you. And then with that, he said, stand up. Oh, I said, okay, okay. So I stood up. Turn around. I turned around. He said, I wanted to see how you're dressed. Let me see. Are your shoes shined? Oh, Jesus, yeah. like you're back in the military again all of a no sudden. Kidding. So. <laughs> You know, I squared away, and then 
he said, well, what about this college education? You, you, you know, this job requires one. Uh, you don't have one. What are you going to do? I said, well, listen, uh, Mr. Katan's right. I, I am going to school now, and I will graduate. Whether you hire me or not, I'm going to school. He said, okay, uh, we're done here. And with that, about a week later, I got a phone call saying, you know, when can you come to work? I want to take a moment for a message from our sponsor, Oliver White. For more than 40 years, companies have turned to Oliver White for our practical experience. Oliver White educators, coaches, and mentors can help bring your company to the level of Class A business excellence because they've done it themselves in their own companies. All of our principals have firsthand experience in operating and managing business processes to the highest standards. We don't just tell you how to improve business processes. We give you the knowledge to make it happen. Our unique approach has proven to work successfully. We transfer our extensive knowledge to you as you strive to operate your business more effectively by optimizing your supply chains. We provide detailed knowledge of best practices, show you how to implement them, coach you on ways to manage challenges, and mentor you to build competencies. After working with Oliver White, your company will be more competitive, responsive, and profitable. Find Oliver White online at www.oliverwhite-americas.com or by calling 800-258-3862. And now, back to the podcast. I went to work and... uh... I got to know some of the people, you know, the production manager. And all. It, it was it was an exciting position to have for a kid. You know, I was still a kid at that time, uh, but to work in this beautiful environment, really nice people, and uh, travel was a requirement. So, you know, going to school at night and then trying to fit in my travels, so I missed this as little school as possible. Uh, and, and the travel was, you know, down to uh, Baja in Mexico uh, to inspect the ship that was loading. Uh, and, and to be able to get to the ship, I had to go up one of those hanging ladders. I scared the life out of me. I had to go up like 40 feet. Uh, and then, you know, going to Roxall Mines in, in Detroit and, and, and Cleveland and, you know, going down into the shafts and, and, and seeing how this my product was mined and the different types of, of, of salt that were, were manufactured. Well, not manufactured, they don't manufacture salt. You mine salt and then you grind it or whatever process you can put it through. But it was, it was just really, I learned so much. And then, of course, at that time, uh, that was before uh, they uh, deregulated transportation. So I was there before they deregulated transportation, and I was there after they deregulated transportation. So I learned a lot, you know, about tariffs and what have you. That it wasn't necessarily important after it was deregulated, but it was a good, good opportunity to be referenced. Yeah, it was good to be kind of so hands-on. It sounds like you weren't spending too much time on the putting green, though, huh? Oh no. Yeah. Well, you know, there there was a time that I, I played a lot on on Saturdays, but I I only played so that. I'd get out there and be the first with my friend. We would be the first off on the tee, and I could be home 
by 11.30, and then I had a full day and uh, and Sunday to, to spend time with the kids and the family. Let's move ahead to the Nabisco years and the kind of the turmoil that Nabisco faced during those years with the RJR acquisition and all of the various, um, you know, problems that came and went, and yet you seemed to somehow soldiered through that and kept a kept a steady course. How did you manage to kind of survive all of that? Well, I think uh, a good part of it had to do with collaboration, you know, collaboration within the organization, collaboration, you know, with, with the sales department, for example. You know, I, there was animosity when I, when I got there. There was animosity between sales and logistics and any time a product that didn't arrive when it was supposed to or any of the problems that you could, might, might imagine, uh, you know, it would turn out to be a major issue. And so when I when I got there, uh, one of my responsibilities was to uh, uh, to work with the carriers and, and you know, and the various other companies uh, to, to work with them. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I, I took some, some steps. It sounds kind of simple and routine, but uh, we, we we understood from the customer what they were looking for in terms of service. So we said, "Is on time important?" Yes, it is. So the the buyer that places the order and puts the on time delivery date on it, he's the king of the of the of the of the company of of that product. And so, if a carrier showed up late. If it was one of our chosen carriers or one of their chosen carriers, uh, if it showed up late, that was a problem. That was reported as an error. If it was delivered late, and it might have to do with the customer's uh, heavy day and not able to unload trucks, we had to report that as an error, as a problem. And so we did that, and we did, uh, you know, changes that were made because before I got there, there was a lot of uh, substitutions being made. So it ordered uh, a 12-ounce uh, can of cashews, and uh, maybe they got a they got a, a, a bonus pack that had another two ounces in it. But it, now it was a different size can, and it might have to do with the way it was placed on a shelf at the at the customers' uh, stores. Well, what we did then is we said we will ask for your permission to substitute, and this is what it is. And if we substitute, we're still going to take that as a error. So we, we did all those, took all those steps and we were completely in line with what the customer viewed and how they viewed it. And when we did all of that, then when the senior management used to uh, have their top to top meetings with the senior management at the customer and they breezed through the, uh, the service areas and the service, service problems, it absolutely breezed through it and then I've got notes back from from John Grenis uh, saying how pleased he was with the uh, the meeting they had with Mr. Wegman of uh, the Wegman's uh, stores, and 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 the compliments that Danny Wegman uh, passed on to us that had he asked him to pass on to us because how how pleased he was with the service levels he was getting. So what what, what happened there was I, I I began to make that uh, bond with the people in the sales department uh, and and then began to make the bond with the people in finance because the finance people used to get inundated with uh, deductions so and each deduction had to be researched and it was a really it was a pain in the neck so when they had fewer invoices that were rejected 
that meant that they had could do their other work without having to worry about trying to research this problem that occurred. So, and then with marketing, I, I got to, uh, I made an effort to know the, the vice presidents of marketing in the various divisions. And I began, I would explain to them what we were doing, how we were doing, what we had helped to accomplish and got to know them. And then I got to know the, the, the individual brand managers. And so, you know, we, we would talk about the business and then, and then at one point as towards the, uh, let's see, uh, it was like uh, I was there like 16 years or something like that. Uh, they said, we'd like you to do a customer marketing. So we want you to be the vice president of customer marketing. They said, oh, I'd be happy to do that. So I got into customer marketing, and the first thing I did was make sure I knew the, the, all the marketing people knew me, and I knew them. And I needed to know what their goals and objectives were and when they expect these things to take place. So then I explained to them that, you know, what we would do is we'd be working with manufacturing and shipping and so on to, to accomplish what they had set out for us. But we'll also tell them where we saw problems. And in one case, we had, we had one junior marketing person who decided he was going to have these two products uh, made and marketed and shipped to the customers all at the same time frame. Well, as soon as I saw that, I realized we've got a problem here because I know that those two products are made on one machine. We only have one machine that does that. So you can have one product, you can have the other product, but you can't have them both in the same conference because they can't do that. Well, you know, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth, but when he really, really understood the game, the plan we were facing, he said, okay, well, what I'll do is I'll market and promote this product in quarter one, and I'll take the second product and I'll follow that in quarter two. And I might even have some experience what I had in quarter one, so that that was a win. So it was just it was that trying to understand the problems that other people were faced with. Yeah, it sounds like a very early experiment in silo busting. Long before that became a trendy topic, you were out there in the trenches doing it and finding a way somehow that all these different disciplines did not feel threatened by your approaching them with these problems that needed to be solved. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, Bob. I think that's that's exactly right because they saw they saw value and and you know I wasn't there was no what we we what, what we it was interesting what we didn't do is say to the people that we're working with that it's our uh, effort to uh, reduce transportation costs you know, or, or warehousing costs or administrative costs. We knew what our costs were. We knew what we were going to try to do. But in no way would we affect the service of their, to their customers by trying to use carriers that were cheap uh, but non-reliable. Mm-hmm. So what we did then is we, you know, we, we, would, uh, we would write a, 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 a monthly report, and then there was a weekly report as well. But what, what those reports would do would uh, explain exactly what took place in that period of time, how many orders, who were the customers. We had, we had that information down to the customer. In a, in, a, in, a, in, a sale, in a sales period, in a quarterly period, we, we knew what customers got what and what customers were canceled and what was the cancellation and how much was the product worth. There's a fellow, his name is Tony Galley. Uh, he was in the uh, finance area at the time. He built the models for us so that he could, he built the model in a, on a monthly basis would send this information out to the salespeople, to their, to the salespeople that were responsible for those customers. So you got what was important to you, not what was just a pile of stuff, 
or it came in on your PC. So because of Tony's ability to capture information and put it together in a report that was meaningful and useful, it began, again, it was building equity in, in, in the minds of the people you're doing business with. I mean, I love what Tony did, and it was so helpful. These sound like lessons that maybe should be or maybe are now being taught in the business schools. Joe, we could talk for so much longer about this. I haven't taken you that far through your life so far, but we're, we're running out of time. I just want to ask you, if you're kind of looking back, do you have any, any regrets or anything you would do differently with the wisdom that you have now? I don't have any regrets, not at all. I, I'm, I'm very, very happy with the, you know, the progress that has been made, and, and I'm happy because what I learned back there, I'm applying now. And at some point in time, when you got, I'll tell you what i got going now. It's going to blow your mind. Uh, uh, for example, I know enough about supply chain management that it starts with a forecast. And, and, if that, and, and we know the forecast is inaccurate because the inventory levels that they're using uh, come out of the system are inaccurate. It's, it's because of the way inventory is managed today and how inventory is controlled. So if you're starting with an inaccurate forecast, then you're, you're, you're working right through an inaccurate business plan. And that and that that has got to be taken care of by uh, uh, inventory adjustments. You put an additional two weeks in the inventory just because you know there's going to be a problem, but you don't know what the problem is going to be. Now I know enough about item level RFID. And by the way, you get supply chain quarterly. You'll see a six-page article I wrote that uh, was in the January issue. And you also have a book, an incredible supply chain yeah. journey. Correct? Yeah. Is that available yeah. now? It's going to be, uh, I think, at the end of the, the first quarter or maybe earlier than that. Uh, they've been working on it, and uh, so I'm anxious to see it. But I, it, it, I, love, I love the book. Um, uh, I had a lot of help from uh, uh, Toby. Uh, she, Toby Gooley, you mean? Yeah, Toby, she's great. Or DC she, Velocity, she, right. She is awesome. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a great, great run-through of my memory. Mm-hmm. of uh, so much that had taken place you know, over the years. Uh, you know, it, it just so much. But anyway, I, I, what I'm doing right now is I've got about 2,200-plus contacts in LinkedIn, and I'm getting more every day. And most of them I'm bringing in are, are technology people and people familiar with item-level RFID. So what I'm going to do is bring them all together, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them to help me form up a team and then with this team, what we're going to do is we're going to start with the supply chain, and we're going to start with the forecast, and we're going to work it from the very beginning uh, of developing the forecast to the very end, which is the end of the quarter or the end of the year, and what were all the steps we had to go through to get there. And it's my contention that by using item-level RFID, when we compare that to the way business is done today, we're going to find that there's huge benefits that can be uh, found in administration, in warehousing, in transportation, and in more importantly, getting the right product on the shelf for the consumer. Well, Joe, I can't wait to have you back to talk about your current work, because I'm sure we could talk for a long time about that as well. I have to yeah. wrap it up now, but I really want to thank you for taking the time with me, telling me your fascinating story, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again. Thanks, Joe Andraski, for being with us. You're more than welcome, Bob. Call me anytime. A closing message from our sponsor, Oliver White. 
All of our white educators, coaches, and mentors can help bring your company to the level of Class A business excellence because they have done it themselves at their own companies. All of our principals have extensive first-hand experience in operating and managing business processes to the highest standards. We provide detailed knowledge of best practices, show you how to implement them, coach you on ways to manage challenges, and mentor you to build competencies. After working with Oliver White, your company will be more competitive, responsive, and profitable. Find Oliver White, that's W-I-G-H-T, online at www.oliverwhite-americas.com or by calling 800-258-3862. That was my conversation with Joe Andrasky. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch nearly 2,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. See you next time.